Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Sporticost Football Stories podcast. My name is Craig Hansen and today I'm joined by Isaiah Cameron, technical writer by day and football obsessive by night. Isaiah is a founder and editor of Barcelona Football Blog and has been writing since 2006, helping to build BFB into one of the best places to read about the club online. He also has a newsletter over at Barca. Substack.com. I can't wait to get Isaiah's insights into the club he loves, the legendary Barcelona, on today's episode of the Sportacos Football Stories podcast. Don't forget, if you enjoy the show, we urge you to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This is extremely important to us, and we thank you for helping our little podcast to grow. Hey Isaiah, how you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, we we did try this a few weeks ago. We had a little technical difficulty, so I'm hoping that this time around we're going to get everything just right. And I really want to get into, especially everything that's going on at the club at this second because it's you know it's fascinating. I think for everyone in the world. But real quick before we do get into that, I just want to hear a little bit about yourself too, a little bit about your backstory as a fan so could you tell me a little bit about where you're based where you're from and how you became a Barcelona fan sure I'm based in the United States Uh, specifically I live in the Philadelphia area now but I grew up in Ohio in northeast Ohio so shout out to all the people who love Lake Erie Um, and you know becoming a Barcelona fan in the United States in the early 2000s was a little bit of a strange experience because we didn't have streaming we didn't have you know live matches available all the time so um on tuesdays on espn there was a review show and while i was watching that you know a couple of of famous matches happened um 
technically I didn't see the Rivaldo hat trick against Valencia in 2001 there because I had already graduated from high school by that point. Uh, I must and, and watched it in the summer, but uh, that's the match that really cemented it for me watching that incredible uh, bicycle kick to, to, to win the match, qualify for the Champions League and create more of the legend of Rivaldo right before the 2002 World Cup. So I started, you know, and then I was playing in high school at the same time. So it was kind of connecting the dots of, wow, these guys are actually really incredibly good. And, and I know that more so because I'm playing this, this game and uh, I, I am not very good. So When did it get a little bit enjoyable. easier to watch? When did there become these... Uh, I read the other day, I think, that they, they doubled their... Oh, no, that was the Premier League, doubled their US income with the TV rights, the network deals and everything. I'm sure La Liga have the same ones nowadays. When did that start to come in, these huge deals? Yeah. You know, the... I was able to start watching kind of regularly when I moved to New York City um, in about 2009. So otherwise it was, you know, finding streams online or I listened on the radio for a little while, which is a very strange experience. Um, And you don't really get a sense for actually what's happening on the field necessarily. Yeah, it's kind of cool in a a weird way. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of neat. I, I actually, I really, really like listening to the NFL on the radio, but um it's it's very strange for a game like football where you're uh it's very visual and you have to watch a lot of the players moving off the ball and of course the commentators not talking about what's going on off the ball very much so um really 2009 was when i I really was able to watch any regularity um i'm not quite sure exactly who the provider was um at the time, but uh, BN Sports came into the United States and uh, hoovered up La Liga rights and started putting those on. So there were a select few bars in Brooklyn where I lived that put it on and we would go there and watch. Um, got a nice little group of fans uh, who are friends, you know, to this day. And we watched all those matches there at a, at a, a local bar. There was uh, a bar in Manhattan, Nevada Smith's, that was famous for for being a soccer bar and um i used to go there before before that so you know 2007 2008 it was it was readily available but you had to make the 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 trip somewhere most most of the time it was a little hard to get at home now it's at home because it's on espn plus um which makes it actually very hard to watch in a bar so that's kind of a strange change in the last few years so you've gone from only being able to watch it in the library to only being able to watch it in a bar to only being able to watch it at home yeah pretty much yeah yeah that's it's kind of it's it's a strange which is the best experience travel because you would think it would be the opposite but uh, which one did you enjoy the best out of the three? Oh well the bar is definitely the best because you have your friends and uh and it's it's much more social and you know, you'll you'll end up in a bar, and, and I mean, I'm sure you know how this works. Uh, there's there's a match, and you go to watch that one, and you end up watching three. Yeah, you know, they come on back to back to back, and um, you know, I watched a Barcelona match, and then right after that, you know, was the MLS Cup final, and I ended up watching that. And the first time I'd ever watched an MLS Cup final, and uh, so that was pretty fun. So you'll you'll end up with that. But any memorable stuff in that? Were there any sort of um, memorable? European expats over there 
starring in that final that I might have heard of. You know, I don't. I'm not sure. I can't. I can't remember who was on. It was New York Red Bulls and uh, the Columbus Crew. Could like so, Henri have been playing there? Or something, so I don't maybe. think he was on there. I think he was actually playing for Barcelona at the time. But yeah, he might have been. Actually. Um, it was. This was a, quite a while ago. So, and I don't really follow the MLS, so I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, I think Scalotto was on Columbus Crew, and I think now he's the manager, uh, or he's managing in the MLS. I think. Um, again, I don't really follow it so well. So, listeners, please don't murder me. Uh, <laughs> no, me neither. I, I yeah. don't think uh, we're going to have a big problem with that. But <laughs> would you would you say that La Liga is bigger than MLS in in America? Yes, but it's a little it's hard to know because there are certainly um, segments of the population that are going to watch whatever's on you know TV rather than find it on ESPN plus so it may be switching over uh, MLS is not particularly pro- uh, popular but it is on various channels that you can get on cable so people will watch it and you could watch it in a bar if you want so you know how you mentioned that you don't really follow it so closely and because you're all about La Liga um do you think there is a bit of a phenomenon with guys who get into soccer football and they they follow teams from Germany or Spain or England or whatever and they actually don't end up watching the because that's what's so strange to us, right? That you follow that more than the football that's actually there. Is that a big thing that the people who follow MLS sort of only follow MLS, and the people who follow European football don't follow MLS? And why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean that happens all the time. I think because of the quality. The okay. MLS is is kind of a fun sideshow in a way, but if you watch an MLS match after you watch a major European side play you you just go oh wow these guys are basically amateurs and that's not necessarily very fair i mean these mls players are clearly professional they are clearly quite good and they you know they deserve our respect as 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 people and athletes but you you can't say that mls isn't a retirement league because it is i mean pretty much just straight up they're trying to change that to a degree but they're they're, the investment isn't there in the same way, so you're not going to get the superstars. Uh, you know, the U.S. has had several leagues in the past that have folded because they kind of overspent up front. So the MLS has been really, really tight with salary caps and trying to make sure that the clubs are solvent rather than growing the game too quickly. That said, if you're an American you know, football player, soccer, as we call it, obviously, you have to go somewhere else to really develop to, you know, and we're seeing that more and more that we're seeing a lot of players in the national team are currently in Europe and they're doing quite well. You know, you have your Weston McKinney's who starts for Juventus, you know, you have Kristen Pulisic who's with Chelsea. A lot of Canadians nowadays too, right? A lot of Canadians have have had this tremendous success recently. It's crazy. They're everywhere. Tremendous success. Um, and, and I personally, I don't follow the Canadian national team, so I don't know if that's a surprise or if that's just sort of been something that's been building. Um, they're now doing quite well in qualifying as well, which is cool. Um, I'm, yeah, it's really I welcome, cool. I welcome that because it's, you know, more rivalries is not a problem for me. Um, no, no, it's really cool. Always good to see, to see a new country emerge. Um, but going back to Barcelona, of course, you mentioned Rivaldo and, and the impact that he had on you in those early days. Who were the who would you say was the next star who came along and took his mantle when he 
when he wound down, who was the next person who captured your imagination, I guess? Well, for me, interestingly enough, it was probably Javi. Um, there's, it, there's not necessarily a direct link there, but um, it, that's, I mean, it's a very good question because at the time we had that, we had a whole crop of players coming up that became stalwarts. You know, you had Puyol and then Xavi and then Iniesta kind of all on the line. And, um, yeah, it's, there's, there's not really anybody who was, who took over until Xavi did from that, you know, oh my God, Rivaldo's amazing. I love watching him play. Then Xavi was the guy that I realized was quiet, almost unassuming, but extremely important cog in the whole thing. And watching him play really taught me a lot about how the game works, how you should play and kind of gave me a stylistic uh development that i that i had didn't have before prior to that it was sort of just watching exciting stuff and seeing players who were very technically good and could do exciting things and then you know shifting over to more of a tactical question and how do we approach this and what players do we want that fit in kind of a mold rather than simply in a way, the Galactico model of bring in the best player at the time and it'll work itself out. Javi was kind of the opposite of that in a way. Um, obviously, so incredibly skilled that he would have qualified as a Galactico had he moved. But, you know, the, the, the La Masia thing became a real, a really big deal uh, in, in those years. So it was, it's hard to say there was a single player, but obviously, all of that led to Messi. So would it be fair to say that learning from Javi sort of helped you move into this more blogging and writing and thinking critically about the game and about Barcelona? Yeah, I think so, for sure. Yeah, I started blogging in about 2007. Um, I was a little bored at the time. I was uh, I was um, unemployed for a little bit after after college and was you know looking for work and stuff like that and said, hey, I'm going to fill some time. And uh, I love this game, so let's 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 write about it because I love writing. So I uh, started doing that, and yeah, Javi at the time was was you know I don't know up and coming is is correct by 2007, but um, certainly a player that was worth watching, and uh, it was great to great to to watch his development, to watch the squad's development, and to write about it at the time and kind of grow in my writing and my understanding. You'll pick up books, read a whole bunch of stuff. You know, you have in Inverting Pyramid by Jonathan Wilson. You have Morbo by Phil Ball. You have, um, I I mean, I worked my way through parts of The Ball is Round by David Goldblatt, but that's, you know, what is it, 1,400 pages or something like that. So I didn't get through the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's unsurprising. But how how did um, how did that change sort of affect the way that you watch matches so going from just a, a person who casually watches games sort of fan of barcelona sort of just rooting for them to d did it make you a little bit more critical did it in any way make it less of a you know magical experience for you watching in that way as opposed to how you did when you were maybe more innocent i guess when you weren't thinking too hard about I it i hope i hope not because one of the things that i want to do and want to 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 approach with my writing in general is to try to to try to maintain at least a little bit of the magic of the game you know it that's a big ask of course because you know the magic of the game is so big and my writing is so small but it's 
it's the, the kind of approach that I want is one where I can be effusive and passionate about the matches and say, you know, oh, I, you know, I screamed my head off when Iniesta scored that goal at Stamford Bridge. Of course I did. You know, I'm a fan first and certainly a tactician second, you know, probably far less than that. So, uh, I do try to, I try to think about things from a more holistic perspective, but I want to try to capture the passion too, because it's so important that we as fans admit that we're fans too. I'm not, I'm not some sort of journalist trying to objectively discuss Barcelona. I am me, a fan writing about Barcelona first. Yeah, you're a fan blogger. Yeah, I'm a fan blogger. And and the other other side of that is, of course, I want to be able to recognize truths and not just be biased, not just think, oh, well, that was obviously a penalty. Why didn't they call that? But actually <laughs> look at the play, sure. But the passion that I want to bring to blogging, to thinking about Barcelona and to you know, being in the stands when I can be in the stands is is just uh, is from the fans' perspective is something that I want to try to keep and try to, to to hold on to, and that can be hard sometimes when you end up as a writer thinking mostly about corporate structures and not about you know, oh, I can't believe we did this on the field. That's amazing. That was fun. Or oh, we should get rid of that guy or whatever that instead I'm thinking about the electoral process of a presidency or something like that. And that, so that can be hard. It's kind of a balance that you have to try to strike. Well, from Xavi enchanting you with his play on the pitch to his new position in the dugout, let's let's move on to matters in the in the present day at the Camp Nou. But before we do that, we're going to take one very quick break. And we're back. Okay, Isaiah, so... Xavi's here. There's been, I think, is it four or five games now in all yeah. competitions? Yeah. Um, I guess, first of all, what do you make of the rain so far? And do you see any progress being made yet? I think the team is a little more coherent and cohesive than they were under Koeman, but there's there's major strain on the squad. I, I, I've said before that this is a very talented squad. We have a lot of the pieces that we need. But if you look at those pieces, they're somewhere between 17 and 19 years old. There's a lot of work to do. Those guys are going to grow. Those guys are going to get better. Those guys are going to understand the tactics more. Javi came in in the middle of the season. That's always hard. Without a preseason, yeah. without the training time with the squad, they don't necessarily know what he wants out of them or they can't really change midstream there's period periodization of the uh, you know the, the athletic side of it you know sort of who's rested who's not so there's a lot of that strain uh, the other thing is that it's it, it's hard to come into a squad that's so physically broken there's a lot of injured players and a lot of strain on those players who aren't injured and thus that leads to more injuries so Javi is battling through that. At the same time, they've it's it's not as coherent and cohesive as I would like to see, and certainly it's not as as 
fluid as people kind of expected it to be. It's not a, it's not going to be a night and day thing. You're not going to step in and go from say a Catanaccio style to a, to a, an open, you know, total football style in one second. You, know, you can't make that transition immediately. So I think I have hope for Javi's future, but it's still pushed out as future rather than I think that tomorrow will beat Bayern Munich 8-0. No, it's not going to happen. We're not going to do that. The more likely yeah. is the reverse scoreline. So, like you said, it's not going to change overnight, but I guess when can fans expect to see some tangible improvements? I mean, I know it's difficult to put a timeline on it, but... We've already seen tangible improvements. I think we've already seen improvements, but the problem is that you're also facing very hungry opposition. Yep. And that, that opposition isn't going to just lay down and say, go ahead and you know figure this out. So if you're going to go up against the Rayo Vallecano, you better come correct, yep. as they say. And it's hard, you know, obviously that was that was under the old manager, but you're going to see that same sort of concept. The, the team the team is struggling in the last 30 minutes of a match to 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 control anything. You, we saw that in against Espanyol in Xavi's first match in charge. The team just kind of faded out at the end and had no no tank. They just had no gas left and couldn't couldn't keep up anymore. And I don't know how you really change that, given the fact that there's no real breaks to rest the squad and reset how they're they're approaching. I think that all the injuries, and I said I said just said this before, but it's it's really bears repeating. All of the injuries have messed up how you can rotate the squad and keep players fresh. So. In addition to those players not being able to be on the field and Xavi be able to put the pieces where he wants because you have a guy like Memphis Depay who's playing basically out of position and not really able to do what I think Xavi wants him to do because he's not that type of player because he was purchased to be a, in a different system. Why? Because he wasn't purchased, but brought in to be in a different system. Xavi has to work with those pieces that he has, but even those pieces that he has are mostly injured yeah so it's it's going to take time for a number of reasons i mean what do you foresee happening in january i know that probably the number one concern for the club is more about offloading players right but there are still rumors the rumors always persist with barca i mean it wouldn't matter how many billions in debt they are there's always rumors and sterling is heavily rumored i know he was rumored probably a bit more in the beginning of the season when he was being left out he seems to be playing a lot more now uh, under Pep and he's doing well again, so maybe that will sort of die out. But there are rumours of Raheem Sterling. Um, Alex Grimaldo has been rumoured. Uh, Danny Alves has actually come back in. Uh, this... Yeah, Danny Alves is back. And that's actually, I mean, that's probably <laughs> probably going to be my answer yeah, to your question. He's already back in. January, in. The answer is Danny Alves. That, that's what I thought, right? He was rumoured, but he's already here. So what, what's up with that? What's up with Danny Alves? Well, so Danny Alves, he can't, he can't be registered until January. So he's oh. just training and he's, he's, your quintessential locker room glue guy. Um, that may be more of like an NBA term than a, than a football term, but yeah, but I he, think I get a, it. He's going to sort of bring everyone brings together. Everybody together. He's the veteran guy who everybody really likes and he can, he can be the bridge between management and players in a lot of ways. He can, 
uh, carry water for the manager and he can carry water for the players. So it's just really a great fit, I, I think. And then not only that, but he'll be able to step in and play matches and really make sure that there's somebody physically there who understands the game and definitely is going to understand what Javi wants. So there's there are questions about Dest's future with Barcelona. There are questions about who can fill that right back kind of void right now. You have Mingueza, you have Sergio Roberto, you have Dest. All these guys have been you know, rotating through that spot. Danny Alves is a guy who comes in and takes care of some of those questions. How he plays with Alba on the other side will be interesting. How 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 physically good he actually is at the age of like 612 or whatever he is now. It's it's one of those questions that I don't know if we're really going to get a great answer out of him, but it's at least a question that's worth asking. Um, and I think bringing him in, especially for such a low uh, salary is, is incredible and a really good move kind of asking, kind of makes you wonder why did he leave i'm sure you want to get some of these off the books maybe, maybe not necessarily as a fan but as sort of someone who thinks about the club's well-being but how realistic is it that you will do you think be able to offload some of the highest earners who probably aren't really contributing anything close to what they're making financially I just don't think we'll be able to do it. I think it's like the summer. I mean, everybody knows that they're not contributing. Why are they going to contribute for anybody else? And especially at the at their wages. So, you know. Newcastle maybe have the money. <laughs> well, that's and... the joke, right? That's the joke. They come in. We hope they have more money than since. And that they come in and say, Coutinho will be amazing for us. Great. Yes. Yeah, I mean, they might. They really may. That's what I think. They may have more money than since, genuinely. I don't want to take advantage of such things because I don't I don't like the fact that there's, you know, this money being poured into clubs from from, you know, state actors. But at the same time, it is already there. Yeah. Uh, take Coutinho off our hands. Um, and and that this this is not to say that Coutinho is bad by, by any means. I think he's actually a very, very good player. And and not only that, but he's actually played better under Xavi than he had under anybody else. So. I like that, but still, the price tag that he had coming in, he had to be f- such a better contributor. I mean, obviously, we put him up on loan and everything like that. So he needed to contribute yeah, more. You have other players like Dembele who are looking to renew, although the contract negotiations are kind of stuttering around right now. We'll see if they actually come to fruition. You have a bunch of you have a bunch of other kind of large earners. I mean, there's Samuel Umtiti who hasn't really played much. So that if depending on how he's progressing physically, I don't, I just don't think that we're going to be able to offload any of these players simply because they aren't performing for Barcelona. If they aren't performing for Barcelona, why would anybody take them? So yep, it is going to be it's going to be a real challenge. But take forgetting for one second the the offloading, thinking about the players that are there to stay that are not going to be. Um, on the chopping block, I guess. Who do you think will benefit most from Xavi coming in terms of his style, his management? Who's going to get the who's going to get more opportunities than they had before? And who do you see really kicking on? You know, I would well? have said prior to Xavi coming in, probably Ricky Puj, but um, he seems to be you know earning a few minutes. Uh, Gabi got a, a concussion on uh, last weekend against Batiste, but so he. Puj got a lot of time, but 
that didn't work out so great. So I don't know. I don't know if he's really going to step up. There's there have been questions about whether he's actually very good or not, and I think we can answer those questions over the next few weeks and months for sure. Um, otherwise, I, I think players like Gabi and Nico are really going to benefit from this because they're going to get a lot more time and they're going to get a lot more responsibility and uh, the style will work very well with what they've kind of grown up with. So there are there are those guys who are, first of all, cementing themselves there no matter who's the manager because they're so talented. But, you know, I would expect those guys to really enjoy playing under Chavi because they will have the midfield responsibility and the tactics will be kind of based around giving them space, time, and you know, the ability to control and, and kind of manage the match. Are there any players who could be getting frozen out who maybe were getting plenty of opportunities under Koeman sort of, you know, when managers change, you, are there any like sort of Koeman's guys? Well, interestingly enough, I'd say that I would say that, well, besides what I mentioned about Memphis Defy maybe not being the right style player for Chabi, there's there's also Sergio Roberto seems to be getting less time. He's injured right now, so it's not like it's not weird that he's not playing, obviously. But I think he was he was on his way kind of rotating out of of, of being a very, very regular player. And obviously very small sample size, but um you know, there's there's not really anybody that I'm that I'm thinking of and you know i'm staring at the squad list right now trying to see this maybe dest is the answer here maybe dest is the guy that that ends up he is definitely one of kuman's guys isn't he yeah i mean in some ways yes i think so um he was pretty highly touted coming out of iax so it's it's a little hard to say who wanted him the most because you know there were a lot of people a lot of fans who were saying hey this guy's amazing we should definitely get this guy we got that guy um i think he's really good He's just young, and you develop a little more slowly on the defensive end. We're just very used to right now having 18, 19-year-olds playing at the, the highest level. And I, that's not necessarily very fair. You have a guy like Carlos Pujol wasn't at the top of his game at the age of 21 either. So would we sell Carlos Pujol today? I, I think we would, and I, and I think that's a bad thing. It is a bad thing, but like you said, you probably would. So we can just be grateful that in the past it wasn't so... that managers and clubs in general weren't so trigger-happy, I guess, like that. Well, but, Chubby, himself, Chubby himself has said that he almost left Barcelona until, imagine. until Pep came along and saved his Barcelona career in a way. Because he said he didn't feel like he was part of the system, that he was part of what made Barcelona Barcelona anymore. He was sort of on the outs. People were sort of saying, like, yeah, this guy is not quick enough. He's not big enough. He's not physical enough. And Pep came along and said, you guys are all crazy. Yeah, just imagine if that would have happened like that. Yeah, and, you know, I remember the stories at the time. And just me saying, like, that's insane. Of course, Chavi's not leaving. Chavi's amazing. Chavi's the best. And, you know, he didn't leave. And he now everybody else agrees, too. So I'm, I'm happy to have been, I guess, on the leading edge. I didn't realize I was on the leading edge at the time. I thought I was, you know, late to the game watching Chavi. Is it possible? Is it possible that right now with Javi, it's only we're like five games in, so none of this is even. We can't even really think about it. But 
in two or three years' time, if things just sort of aren't getting any better and it just looks like, you know, it's not working and, and there are actually signs that it's because of Javi, not because it needs time, whatever, but we see a sort of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer type situation. Will it be hard for you to sort of separate how you feel about Javi from reality? Can you can you already... F- I don't think... I don't really think that is going to happen because I don't see a Solskjaer thing happening here. I just think even in their playing days, Javi understood the game so much more. I think he does know how the game works so much more. And I'm not taking too much away from Solskjaer. I mean, in a way, he did loads of great things at United, to be honest, during his time. But there's definitely a case there where fans were, were unable to see reality because they loved him so much. It, it's a great question. I hope to I hope to never cross that bridge. Um, but but realistic. But realistically, I think that I I can separate those two out. Chab, I mean, we just did it with Ronald Koeman. So I hope we can do it again with Xavi if necessary. That the, the problem will be in determining the chicken or the egg. Which, which problem is the problem? Is if we're at the exact same location, you know, level, same, same place in the table, same, same, you know, monetary financial problems, all of that in one year from now, I think we're going to be having that conversation about whether we should get rid of Chavi. Because it is currently unfair to say Chavi has to succeed right away with a squad that's not yeah. his, that's, that he didn't develop, that he didn't have any time with. Yet in a year, he'll have had all, had all that and they'll be able to make changes, do a, a little bit of reinvestment, all that sort of thing. Uh, so in a year, I think we'll be able to say, this is where we are with Chavi. And, and that may change. I may change my tune by the middle of spring, it, depending on the run of results. Like, you know, if, if it's all just losses all the way through, if we're losing, you know, one nil to Betis every weekend, we're going to, we're going to say this isn't working and that's Chavi's fault. <laughs> but yeah. I don't, I don't expect that to happen simply because of the talent in the squad. People will get fit. We're going to see Ansu Fati come back. We're going to see Pedri come back. We're going to see, you know, even, and, it, and this is, it sort of sounds silly because we're talking about Barcelona here, but, but Martin Braithwaite's going to come back too. And yeah, well. that will help. And the reason that will help is because Braithwaite to me is a better fit for what Xavi wants. He's definitely not as good as Memphis Depay, but he's probably a better fit. But once Ansu Fati comes back, once Pedri comes back, we're going to find ourselves with Depay maybe more central in a more central role, maybe he'll do a little bit better where he doesn't have to continually take a player on on the wing, which may not be his strong suit. So you'll have Ansu Fati there, who is very good there. And that may help, that may kind of change a little bit of the dynamic. It certainly will give Xavi at least more options off the bench even. Just just those little things. And, you know, I, I know that People have really enjoyed what Eric Garcia has done in the last few weeks, and I hope that that means that he's taken to Javi's style and is going to grow and become better over the f- next few months. They'll really settle in because he, I'd say, he hasn't done that well over the course of his admittedly very short Barcelona career. So there's guys like that. Um, a guy like Frankie Young could really, really step up. I mean he's been he's been probably Barcelona's best player over the last several months. You kind of quietly, but you know, he's there. He's he's the guy that causes Sergio Busquets to have space and time on the ball, which is what 
Boosie needs these days. And it's a guy like that that's going to really, you know, the ability to rotate in with Pedri, with Gabi, with Nico, because there's such fixture congestion. We're going to run into that. And Chabi, I'm sure, is looking at all of the matches to come and going, oh my God, how do I do this? <laughs> but um, uh, if if a guy like Lenglet can come in and be half the player he seemed to be the first few months he was in in the Barcelona uniform, that would be awesome. Um, he gave he's made a lot of bad decisions in the last year or so on the field, off the field. I'm sure he's a great guy, and it's hard to hard to know what's really going to come out. You know, it's down to the goalkeeping coach, down to, you know, is Ter Stegen going to regain the form that he had when we won the Champions League in 2015? Is, you know, Araujo really going to continue to be the dominant force that he seems to be in defense? Can we transition away from PK? Do we have the players that allow us to transition away from him? Because he's aging, he's getting slower, he's making more and more of that that rash tackle in midfield that earns him a yellow card for no reason in the 35th minute. He's doing that almost every match. So those are big questions. And I, I hope that in a year from now we say, well, we're favorites to win the Champions League, but I, we won't be. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a long rebuilding process. Well, taking all that into account, players coming back, how well Javi can sort of keep older players ticking along a little while, all the financial stuff, taking all that into account. You're not going to be the favourites to win the Champions League this year. No, <laughs> that's, no, that's for no. sure. Nagelsmann is wrong about that. Nagelsmann <laughs> is wrong about that in every possible way. I don't even think we're going to qualify for the next one. So this is my question for this year. Taking all that into account, what are your sort of, um, I guess, not minimal, just hopeful expectations, not ridiculous expectations, but expectations that if things go, you know, sort of slightly better than well, for Javi's first, what would this be, six, well, five or six months for, till the end of this season? Right. What would represent like a really nice step forward in terms of league position, in terms of the Europa League, which I know that it's not exactly, it sounds weird with it being Barcelona, but, you know, Man United have won that in recent years. I think Chelsea have won it in recent years. So it's not, you know, Man United, I'm sure you'd agree, are one of the biggest clubs in the world along with Barca and they... They still tried enough to win it, and I think they celebrated it as a genuine achievement. I mean, would that be something worth targeting? What about Copa del Rey? What What would be good? I mean, actually, sorry, did you already go out of that? Because I'm not. I might no, have, I might we haven't have something yet. We haven't okay, even great. The Copa del Rey campaign. Oh, oh yeah, that explains why I saw all those um those fixtures going on um with La Liga teams playing in like sports halls and stuff against all yeah. the teams from like yeah. the ninth it's tier. It's actually stuff. one of the it's actually one of the things I I dislike about Spanish football. Um just a quick just a quick aside. I I think that all teams should play starting at the beginning of the Copa del Rey. I think that's the only fair way to do it. Like if if or at least all of the teams in a particular league should start in the same round. Yeah, I agree. There's no there's no reason to have it so that Barcelona doesn't have to play in the first couple of rounds of the Copa del Rey, but like Mallorca does. Yeah, like that's Levante not, does and fair. stuff. I don't get that. I right. would get none of them coming in until the third round like they do in England because that sort of makes sense. But yeah, you don't want to hold off, I don't know, the three or four who you think are too elite to come in until later. I, right. I agree. I don't like that either. Yeah. But anyway, so you're still, in, you're still in the Copa del Rey, Europa League's on the horizon, La Liga. What would be a good finish for you? So a good finish, so a tremendous finish would be to somehow qualify for 
the knockout rounds of the Champions League. I think we could call that, you know, the the reach goal. Oh yeah, because that's not even impossible, isn't it? You just no, need to do we, something pretty if, if we, impossible. <laughs> yeah, if Benfica loses to Dinamo Kiev, we are in no matter what our result against Bayern. Yeah, but if that's... we if we draw and Benfica draw, we are we are in and Benfica are out. Uh, if Benfica win and we do not win, we are out. So we have to to ensure our advancement. We need to. Um, honestly, win our last match that we did not win. We needed to win last match day, and so if Bayern have fifteen points, Bayern they... have all the points. Yep. I mean, they yeah, they they might actually try as well, just so they can do that whole Nagelman, every single Nagelman point has thing. Claimed he is not going to rotate very much at all. Oh no! Um, so they have to not try. I know. Yeah. Well, they, you know, they are going to try to to destroy us. And that's that's fine. That's their that's what they should do. But I think there could be a a moment in which Byron is just sort of like we don't care. Mm. <laughs> so it really mostly hinges on whether Dinamo Kiev can can beat Benfica, and it's in Portugal, so unlikely that they yeah, will that's win. Yeah, really like, unlikely. A draw would help, probably. So. Yeah, there are possibilities. I but it's a reach goal. Like I would love to do that. But the thing is that the uh the Europa League is more likely. Yeah. So in that I don't really care what we do. I think that we go to the Europa League, we need to focus on qualifying for the Champions League through the league. No other competition is going to matter. We need to qualify for the Champions League because we cannot lose that financial side to it so in in that we are going to find ourselves a little bit uh constrained i think because if we don't if we don't qualify for the Champions League, if we end up sitting in seventh or eighth throughout the the rest of the season we will find ourselves in very bad place next year to try to rebuild the squad um that's well, you're six sad, points off at the moment day. Six points yeah. off of Atleti is targeting that Europa League win the better route. If you win the Europa League, <laughs> you're straight in there, aren't you? Yeah, I just I just think that the the strain on the squad is going to be tremendous in that situation. Now, of course, you could try. Yeah. You might as well, I guess. But um, I just don't think that we would win because I don't think that we're even as good as that second tier team is going to be. You have a Chelsea that comes in and wins. You know, there's going to be some huge Dortmund are going to be in it. I think. Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, that would be very difficult. I would find it very hard for for me to say in, in, a, in a one-off against Dortmund, would we beat them? I don't know. It's going to be tough. It would, it would certainly be very hard. I mean, I would expect Holland to score 12 or something. I want to answer the Copa del Rey question, too. First, uh, the Copa del Rey should uh, be a uh, a competition where we develop players, not where we necessarily need to find trophies. That's never how the squad approaches it, and that's never how the the club approaches it however i think that in these days right now we need to preserve our squad for la liga right now because we have to qualify for the champions like that's the important thing not not the copa del rey which we've won recently so it's not like we haven't won it more than anybody else in history which we have just a little, <laughs> so yeah a well you've you gotta you gotta hang on to those those glories haven't you right now this is the tough time 
Okay, so um, before we get out of here, we're going to just uh, see if we have any questions on Twitter, and then we're going to do a quick little bit of uh, little bit of fun, something different, not exactly the trivia we usually do, but something a little bit different. Before we do that, we're going to take one very quick break. And we're back. Okay, so, Isaiah, we do have one question, actually, from our Twitter page. You've got mail. It's from our very own Akash Roy, and Akash asks, how long do you presume the transition period will take at the Camp New? So we sort of touched on this a little bit in terms of the short term, but assuming that Javi's the man and this is the, the transition, finally, how long until we see, you know, more of a, a wide scale, a return to what once was. How many years are we talking, realistically? How long should the Barca fans, I don't know. The timetable on this is probably three to four years for like a full a full revamp that we may or may not be able to do. With the it's, financial it's, stuff too. Yeah, there's. I mean, we have to transition away from PK and Busquets and I guess Danny Alves now again. And you have players like Umtiti and Longley, we need to transition away from them as well and upgrade squad members. And that's the thing, like with Samuel Umtiti, if he's at 100%, if he's playing, he's still a world beater. But do we have that? Is that going to be a thing? So those questions are going to have to be answered. And over the next three or four years, we're going to have to build a squad around these kids. And they really are kids. I mean, Gavi is 17 He's, he's an actual child. Yeah, he literally child is a country. child. <laughs> so uh, it, it's it's hard to think. Oh, we're gonna have a Champions League winning squad or a squad that can even compete for the Champions League in the next year or two, simply because the players are so young. I mean, what Pedri is? Pedri is what nineteen, and he's um. You know, he turned he turned nineteen uh, a couple of weeks ago. So these these this is the this is the veteran. This is the guy that you look at and you say, "Wow, this guy has a lot of experience." And, Most and of your best players couldn't have a beer with you in that bar in New York, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, very few of them. And and that's a funny kind of concept to have. I mean, Barcelona was so old for the last couple of years, and now we're so young. And I think one thing we need to do is give Ronald Koeman credit for introducing those players, for developing those players, for bringing them in and and letting the transition from La Masia to the first team happen. Um, I think that's in direct contrast to Valverde, who, did, who wanted to win now, or at least survive now, and didn't bring in other players. Arguably, those players were too young at the time because Gavi would have been like 14. But uh, but they could there have been other guys there. Maybe Cucurella was at the right time. and Get you where you needed to be with, with the other players. Um, it's better to have Messi play with a young player and lose than have him play with an old player and lose. So Because at least the young player could develop. So there's there's always that. Okay, so to finish off here, we, we usually do a little bit of trivia, but because we already did that in our failed episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. I did well. I would just like, the, just like listeners to understand that I did very well. Let the record the... be known that I think it was a respectable score, but I don't remember how much it was. But, it was, but I'm sure it was great. It was we, amazing. We, Perfect. We definitely do. Never got one that. wrong. So... We're going to do 
do a little higher or lower thing, which I have to be honest, I did steal from uh, from a show uh, called The Football Ramble, which is a great show. I'm sure everybody already knows about it. But anyway, I heard it on there a couple of times a long time ago. But the basic concept is I'm going to give you a player. This player is Ivan Rakitic. Um, he has 310 appearances for Barcelona. Um, by the way, these appearances come from the from transfer marked, which is the Bible, as far as I'm concerned. So, if anybody has any doubts, you need to head to transfer mark. But as far as I'm aware, it's um, you know all time competitive appearances. So we've got Rakitic with 310. I'm going to give you 10 players in a row, and I want you to tell me if they're higher or lower than the than the previous. So, so that so the, just to, just to make sure I understand, you're going to say another name, and I'm going to say whether it's higher. Yes, than exactly, in number of appearances or lower. So Rakitic has 310 okay. appearances. Pep Guardiola, higher or lower? Higher. Correct. Pep Guardiola made 384 appearances. Next guy, Samuel Etou, higher or lower? Than Pep Guardiola or than... Than Guardiola. Than Guardiola. Um, lower. Correct. Samuel Etou actually made 199 appearances. Ronaldinho, higher or lower than Etou? Higher. Correct. Only by a little, though. 207 appearances. Actually, only eight more. That was close. That was close. Very good. Very close and very good. Next guy, we mentioned him at the start of the show. Rivaldo, higher or lower than Ronaldinho? Lower. <sighs> higher. Uh. 235 appearances for Rivaldo. Keeping it going with the Brazilians. Silvino, higher or lower than Rivaldo? Ooh, Silvino, that's got to be lower. It is lower, correct. 128 appearances for Silvino. Yeah. Nelson Semedo, higher or lower than Silvino? At 128. Um, I'm trying to think of how long he played for us. Um, let's go with higher. <sighs> lower. 124. I tried, I, I tried <laughs> to get you with that one. Literally four less uh, than Silvino, but in a much different era, in a much later era. Speaking of different eras, Nelson Semedo is probably the most recent guy on this list. And he, as we just said, made 124 appearances for Barcelona. What about Sergi Barjuan? Higher or lower than Nelson Semedo? Wow. This is going back like 40 years or something. Yeah, this is going back. Um, I'll just go with higher. Correct. It was higher. 382 appearances. So yeah, I was thinking of... I had just read. I was thinking I just read his name when I was thinking when I was looking through lists of players a few weeks ago. And Barjuan with 382. Gerard Piquet. Higher. Higher, of course. 582. Carlos Puyol. Oh, did, did Piquet just pass him? Um, oh boy. Um, this is really close. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to think if he just passed him or not. Um, I think I think lower, higher by. Let me add them by eleven. I think <laughs> yeah, eleven. Oh. Five hundred and ninety-three appearances for Carlos Puyol, according to Transfer Mark. So that's a close one. Maybe he did take him recently, um, but I'm going to trust Transfer Mark and assume no. Um, and finally. Carlos Puyol, 593 appearances. Victor Valdez, higher or lower than Carlos Puyol? Lower. Correct, lower, 536. So that's 7 out of 10. Pretty good. Not bad. Yeah, not, not too bad. bad. We're probably not going to do this again, so you will be the, the sole champion of uh, higher Great. or lower appearances. 
I expect my trophy in the mail. <laughs> You'll get it, Isaiah. Isaiah, thanks so much, buddy, for coming on again, um, especially after the uh, technical difficulties of the first time. Before we go, could you just quickly um, plug all of your stuff so the listeners can, can get over and read and, and consume whatever it is you've got going on? Yeah, sure. So my blog is barcelonafootballblog.com. You can read me there. You can read uh, me on Twitter at FCBFootballBlog. And you can read my uh, extremely talented uh, co-writer, Kevin Williams, at uh, Twitter at KevVWill. So, you know, he'd like a little plug there. He's an incredible writer and has kept this blog going in times when I have been uh, unable to produce as much content. Loyalty like. right there. Shouting out the co-workers. Love it. That's right. He's co-founder of the blog, so he deserves it. And you've got a sub-stack, right? I do have a sub-stack. That's, is it the uh, two of you together, you guys, or is that just you? It's remember. just me. Um, okay. The sub-stack is uh, barca, B-A-R-C-A dot sub-stack dot com, so you can go check that out. Um, again, I need to improve my output, but... Uh, the output that's there is gold. Okay, Barcelona fanatics and general football fanatics, get over there, get reading all that stuff. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to Isaiah for coming on again, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Sportacost Football Stories podcast. Please like, share, and leave five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. This is extremely crucial to a show of our size. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, please tell a friend online or offline. That really helps a small podcast like ours to grow organically. Head to sportacost.com for live streams, data, statistics, and much more from the world of football. You can also follow us on Twitter at sportacost.com. You can follow myself at Craig Sportacost. We'd also love to read out your thoughts and questions, so please feel free to tweet those to me anytime or send us an email to show at sportacost.com with your opinions or your questions and we'll get to those on the next episode. Thanks again so much to Isaiah for coming on to speak to us today. Thanks so much to you for listening, and see you on the next episode of the Sportacos Football Stories podcast. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.